0: So we're starting a new series today in the book of Romans. If you have a Bible, you're going to turn to Romans 1. Chapter 1, verse 1 to where we're going to start, which seems appropriate, right? So have you ever thought about how communication has changed just just recently? When I was young, you had a phone uh, connected to a wall, and uh, you could write a letter... That was about it, right? I mean, that was the only way to communicate. I mean, before that, you had Morse code, and then you would have, you know, like telegraphs and those kind of things. And then email came along, and uh, I kind of like email. Uh, Then uh, texting. I love texting. As an introvert, texting is my preferred means of communication, Uh, So, except I don't love autocorrect very much. Um, I texted somebody last night that I was Sabbathing, and it changed to sunbathing, and I didn't love that. So. Not quite what we're looking for. Uh, today we're looking at a letter that was written 2,000 years ago. And it's such an important letter, uh, we are going to spend several weeks looking at it. Because it is, by, by most accounts, most scholars believe it is the most important book in the Bible. All 66 are really important. This one is the most important book in the Bible. I, I had some, uh, some texting... Um, Uh, kind of funnies, uh, some people, some autocorrects that didn't go right. Uh, This one guy says, my sister's having a gorilla. And then the come again was the response, I mean a girl and I'm going to be an ain't. Uh, So that's actually how we say it in Kentucky, I I think here too. This lady texted someone, please kill Karen, stop in. She meant, she said, please, someone please help me carry stuff in, is what that should say. And then this one was to uh, somebody's husband. <laughs> I don't know what she meant. Uh, really, I don't know what, really what she meant there. All right, so Romans is this really important book. It's a little difficult at times to understand, so my task in this process is going to be to understand it and then to communicate how we can understand it. It was written by a fella named Paul. If you don't know the author, you're not going to know why he wrote and how he wrote and the nuance of of what he writes. And so in in this era, in 2,000 years ago, when you wrote a letter, you would write it in such a way where you put, hey, I'm the author. And we're going to talk about the author today. We're really not going to get much past, we're not going to get any past chapter 1, verse 1. But that is such an important verse that we're going to take some time to look at it. The book of Romans has changed countless lives in the history of the world. Let me give you a couple of, of historical examples. There was a guy by the name of, in about 386 AD, uh, Aurelius Augustine, or Augustine. And you, you know him as St. Augustine. He was, by his own definition, a hellion. He, was, uh, he, he attended orgies and he was a drunk and he was brilliant. He was a professor of rhetoric. But he just lived a wild, licentious life. And he wasn't happy with his life. And his mother, her name was Monica, was praying for him. And uh, Augustine, just he was just not happy. And he was sitting in a garden one day and just trying to figure out his life. And he heard some children on the other side of a fence, and they were playing a game. And in the game, they said something to the effect of, take and read, take and read. And he took that to mean, go in the house and read something. Well, there was a Bible there. He opened the Bible to the book of Romans. He turned to this verse. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. The very things he was doing, the Bible is now telling him not to do. He took this as a word from God. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And so he turned his life around and became this prominent Christian thinker. One of the great theologians of of, uh, the early church. Brilliant. The guy was brilliant. Now, on the other end of the scale, so... uh, Augustine was wild. There was a guy named Martin Luther who was really good. He was a Catholic monk. He was doing his utmost to win God's favor. The idea was, in his mind, if I do all the right things, God will be happy with me. And he was doing all the right things, and he didn't feel the joy of the Lord. And so he goes to Romans, and he reads Romans 117. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And all of a sudden, it clicked for him. Oh, it's it's not about keeping the sacraments or doing what the church says. It's about faith. And so his life was changed. And Luther was also brilliant. He uh, translated uh, the uh, Greek New Testament into English. He. Um, started uh, the Reformation, uh, uh, we're Protestants today, much to the, to the, uh, the effect of, of the things that Luther did. He, he was just outstanding. And so you have this letter, this book of Romans, and it's, it, is, it reads a little bit like um, law. So, so what he does, he's so meticulous. Uh, the, the first hundred years of Harvard Law School, about a little more than that, the first hundred years of Harvard Law School, they would uh, assign the book of Romans to all law students because uh, because Paul basically does these things. He explains the problem. Hey, here's the argument, and here's the counter-argument, and here are your objections, and I'm going to address your objections. He, he does this over and over and over again. And so law students for a hundred years at Harvard studied the book of Romans because it was so... Um, uh, It it is so in-depth, and it's a great way to study uh, how to do law. So we're going to look at those arguments that Paul makes. Hey, this is the stuff. Paul basically says, hey, here's your question in life. Here's the answer, and the answer is the gospel. And here are your questions in life, and I know what your objections are going to be, but here's the answer. That's why it's so important. So let's just jump right in. We're going to learn some lessons from the life of Paul. By the way, if you don't know who Paul is, he wrote at least 13 books in the New Testament. These are all letters that he wrote to somebody. Sometimes it was to churches, sometimes it was to individuals, and we have canonized them, we put them in the New Testament, and we read them because they are brilliant. Romans wasn't his first letter, but it's the longest letter. There are lots of words here and there's a lot of things to talk about. And he begins by observing himself. He kind of has, hey, this is who I am. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Now. When I say Paul wrote this letter, Paul isn't actually the one who literally wrote it down. He's the one who dictated it to a guy named Tertius. Tertius. Here's his name, Tertius. Today, we have within our midst a a, a newborn baby girl. Her name is Kennedy Brielle. Kennedy's right there. Wave at everybody, Kennedy. First time at church. There she is. Did you all consider Tertius as a name? <laughs> Not in there. No, okay. Uh, we have another baby that was just born to us, uh, Charlie Ray, beautiful girl's name. Tertius isn't a name. So Tertius, when it says he is Paul's Emanuensis, when I went to seminary, they said he was Emanuensis. I'm like, what does that mean? That means he he wrote it down. He was his secretary. It's like, why why not you just say that? But when you go to lunch with your other church friends tomorrow or whenever you're at, at lunch with people, you can say, did you know, did you realize that Tertius was Paul's Emanuensis for the book of Romans? You could say it like that. Be a little haughty. Uh, it, it's really good fun. Really good fun. So, in olden times, let me go back to this uh, this this one. In olden times, you began a letter by saying that I'm the author. We do it exactly opposite now. So we'll write a letter, you know, Dear Jim, blah, 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 Sincerely, Joseph. And so if you're going to read the letter, don't you look at the bottom. And if there was a return address, you know who wrote it. But if there's no return address, then I look to see who wrote it. Because if it's a letter from... Like AARP, I'm not reading that. You know, I'm not reading that. If it's a letter from somebody trying to sell me uh, exercise equipment, obviously I don't need that. Uh, So uh, there's stuff I'm not going to read, right? So Paul kind of lays it out there. Hey, I'm Paul. I'm the one that writes the letter. I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. And if somebody were to say to you, well, who are you? Because we do that sometimes. We'll meet somebody, well, who are you? It it really depends on the context, right? Right. So here at church, if somebody says, who are you? I would say, oh, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm one of the pastors here. If I'm at uh, one of Elise's, my daughter's, uh, she's a senior in high school. She plays games. Uh, she plays volleyball and other things. And so if I'm at a game that she's attending, uh, if somebody says, who are you? I, I'm Elise's dad. I'm, I'm her biggest fan, that kind of thing. If we're at an event where my wife works at North Greenville University, and they say, who are you? I, I say, I'm Miriam's husband. The meaning in her life and her inspiration. Uh, I, I, I say things like that. It's true. Uh, in Kentucky, back in Kentucky, my hometown, in Danville, Kentucky, I'm, I'm Lawrence and Carolyn Vest's boy. It depends on where you are as to the context determines how you say who you are. So Paul is writing this, this guy. He's in Corinth. He's writing a letter to a, a church he's never been to. And, and he is he's famous. I mean, he's been planting churches, he's been writing letters, folks know who he is. He used to persecute Christians, and now he doesn't. But he wants them to know the way he identifies himself is, I'm a servant of Christ. Have you noticed that fast food restaurants lately, they they start to, they'll take your order, and then they'll say, can I have a name for the order? Y'all notice that? And the idea is when the order comes up, they're going to say, you know, Joseph, your order's ready. But they don't say, what's your name? They just say, can I have a name for the order? So I'm like, yeah, uh, Alejandro. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I try to give names that I know they can't spell. Uh, I'm Henri. Uh, you know, I'm Giuseppe. And my next one's going to be Tertius. Uh, I'm going to see <laughs> if anybody can spell that. Well, so Paul is saying, listen... My name is important. It's Paul. Now, he was born uh, Hebrew, and really his name was Saul, and, and he sort of started using the name Paul, which is really, really remarkable because there's history to the, to the name Saul. You know, there, uh, Saul in the Old Testament was a, a king of Israel, and he was prominent, the first king, actually. And, and to, to be named Saul, well, that meant something, you know? That meant something. Well, the, the word Paul means something too, but in Latin, the word Paul, it literally means little. I, I'm, I'm little. I'm, I'm a servant of Christ. Have you ever met anybody and they can't wait to tell you how important they are, what position they hold? Well, Paul is the exact opposite of that. I have a friend back in Michigan who was the CEO of a network of hospitals. So he wasn't just the CEO of a hospital. He was the CEO of a network of hospitals. And yet, whenever he would introduce himself, he would say, "Uh, I'm an administrator for Trinity Health. I mean, it was very humble because he could have said, I'm the CEO. And, And so Paul... When he makes a self-evaluation, he says, first and foremost, this is how how he begins. I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, he wasn't always that way. In fact, we need to understand, anyone can change. Everyone can change. And so, this being a servant of, of Christ Jesus, well, that wasn't always the way. Paul, in his brilliance, and he was brilliant, Paul, in his brilliance, was puffed up. He was arrogant. You've met really, really smart people that want you to know how really, really smart they are. You've met them. Well, Paul was that guy. He was really, really smart. And he wanted people to know how really, really smart he was. And so then he encounters Jesus and everything changes. So let's look at how he, in one one place, he, he wants to describe his former life. And he does. It's in Philippians. And he says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He was, he, was, uh, uh, he, was a, he was a Jew's Jew. He was as good as you can be. He was attempting also to win God's favor. He wanted you to know, man, I was really, really good at Judaism. And what you have to understand about the Jewish people... The Old Testament, and there's a lot of Old Testament, It's a lot of it. The Old Testament is basically this. I'll give you the thumbnail story. God is in relationship with people. People fall away. God comes down to, to restore the relationship, and they're restored. And people fall away, and God comes down to restore them, and they go back into relationship. It's a cycle, and it happens over and and over and over it's kind of the main theme of the old testament and the jews were god's chosen people to draw others to god this was their mission god is like uh, all nations will be best blessed because of you pull people to me except <laughs> oftentimes it didn't work that way and others pulled them away from god the the other people pulled jews away from god see Being a Jew, well, they they were a people set apart. They had a specific, restrictive diet. They couldn't eat certain things. They had a specific, restrictive schedule. They were supposed to Sabbath on the seventh day. They had a specific, restrictive God. They weren't lots of gods. It's one God. They believed in something called monotheism, one God. And... If they had a shirt made, it would say, us against all y'all. Because that's how it felt to them. And that's how it feels even today. If you look at what ha- what's happening in the Middle East, there's the Jewish nation and everybody's against them. That's how, they- that's how they've always felt. It's a spiritual thing. That's how they've always felt. And this, this zeal, God says, I want you to be zealous for me. Well, <laughs> there are ways to be zealous So let me introduce you to a character that's going to come into play in just a second. His name was Gamaliel. He was a rabbi, but he wasn't just a rabbi. In Paul's day, he was like the rabbi. So if rabbis were colleges, he's Harvard, he's Yale. I mean, he's he's the one. Nobody just said, hey, I want to follow Gamaliel. I want to come hang out with you. It's like, no, no, it's by invitation only. And it was rare to get the invitation. So Paul studied under Gamaliel, and Gamaliel said, hey, zeal looks like this. Zeal is passive. You just live and let live. All those people are going to do what they want to do, but we're going to follow the law and we're going to stay focused. And then there's another kind of zeal that was aggressive and sometimes violent. And that's the path that Paul took. He was aggressive and he was sometimes violent And if you look in the story of the Old Testament, you see over and over again these stories of God reclaiming His people. Let me show you just one. While the Israelites were camped at the Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with the local Moabite women. Jews uh, physically uh, being promiscuous with Gentiles. It's also sometimes called the Goyim, G-O-Y-I-M, people that aren't Jewish. So there is a physical seduction, and these women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods. The physical physical seduction leads to a spiritual seduction. So the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. Do you think this made God happy? (laughs) The answer's no. Uh, are you out there? Uh, no. He's not happy with this. So, look, in this way, the Israel joined the worship of Baal of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against His people. And so what you find is really kind of a bad situation here. And God puts a plague on His people. He has to teach them some way. And there's one dude named Phineas, and he is zealous. And one day, one of the Jews takes one of the Moabite women by the hand, and they go into his tent, and everybody knows what's going to go down. We all know what's going to go down. And he does it in front of God and everybody. This dude takes this woman into his tent, and (laughs) Phinehas, the story says, follows them in and kills them both with one thrust of the spear. I want you to get in your mind probably what was going on. Got it? Everybody good? Tracking? Okay, good. I mean, I really, I'm not going to spell it out, but you know. Uh, anyway, we know what they were doing. And then God's response to Phineas is the plague against the Israelites was stopped and the Lord said to Moses, Phineas has turned my anger away from the Israelites. I am making my special covenant of peace with him. And Paul knew All of these stories. So if you're Paul and you want to be zealous for God and you know these stories, and this is just one of many, then what do you think you ought to do? All right, well, so you've got you got the Jews and you've got the Gentiles, and now you have the Christians who are pulling the Jews away from Judaism. And Paul thought it was his task, his job, his mission was to be like Phineas so that he could receive the special covenant of peace. I'm going to be, he was basically saying, I'm going to be violent. He was a religious terrorist. This is what he was. And there's one thing every religious terrorist has in common today, yesterday, tomorrow they all think they're doing what God wants them to do. So we look at this and somebody straps a, a, a vest with dynamite on and they go into a, a crowded facility and they blow themselves up and they kill people and we think to ourselves, well that's nuts. Well, that person thought that what he or she was doing was God's will. It, it's crazy to us. What Paul was doing, he started to persecute the Christians. And he would, in fact, there was one time there's a guy named Stephen, and Stephen was arrested for uh, teaching about Jesus. And Paul stood there, and he consented to Stephen being executed. This is his history. Paul is brilliant. Paul is zealous. Paul is wrong. You can be all those things. You can be really intelligent. And you can be really zealous, and you could still be really wrong. Well, this was, this was the story of Paul. He was all of those things. And then one day, he's on a mission. He gets some, some, uh, some letters from authorities, and he's going to a place called Damascus. And in Damascus, he's going to arrest all the Christians, every Christian he can find. He's going to Damascus to round them up. And he'll go door to door, or he'll go into the city, or I don't know how you identified the Christians back then, but he was going to figure out, he was going to talk to people, there was going to be a network of spies, or however it worked, and he was going to, to make sure that Christianity was stomped out. His mission was to destroy the Christians. He was heading to Damascus, and he was still breathing threats out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And then something happened. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what to do. And his life was transformed, his life was changed. And he goes from being a persecutor to a proclaimer. He goes from being an antagonist to an apostle. See, religion plays to the worst parts of us, it plays to judgmentalism and pride and self righteousness. And before he became a Christian, that was who Paul was. He was self righteous and he was judgmental. And then he changed. And you might have in your mind, I I know people, you might say, I know people and they'll never change. Well, they can change. I mean, if this guy changed, he was really, really smart and really, really zealous. And you'd think a guy like that is never going to change. But he changed. Anybody can change. Everybody can change. It's possible to change. Third thing about Paul. God equips us to do what He calls us to do. Now, what, is he called, what did He call Paul to do? He says, I've been chosen by God to be an apostle and sent to preach, sent out to preach the good news. We're going to talk about all that a little bit more next week. But to be an apostle, technically, uh, I think the easiest technical definition of an apostle is someone who has seen the risen Christ, someone who has been commissioned by the risen Christ. So, uh, Paul saw when he was on the road to Damascus, saw Jesus. Later, he was told what to do. And so this is his commission. Now, Paul was uniquely gifted, uniquely situated. He, his history was perfect for the task, which is interesting because your history is going to be perfect for the task God calls you to do too. Let's talk about Paul just for a second because there, there's some things you need to know about him. Religiously, he was a Hebrew. We've kind of seen that already. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. The NIV says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, why is it important for him to say, hey, I am a member of the tribe of Benjamin? There are 12 tribes in Israel, and Benjamin was special. Um, the tribe Every tribe had their own land. And so the tribe of Benjamin owned the land where Jerusalem is. And there were famous Benjamites. Uh, You had uh, Saul, the first king, was a Benjamite. Uh, Esther, uh, Mordecai, they were from the tribe of Benjamin. And so it was uh, a matter of pride to be from the tribe of Benjamin. It was really kind of important to them. And today, you know, you have sports fans and then you have super fans right so the difference is a matter of degree right so i'm a fan of kentucky but i'll never dye my hair blue right but there are fans that'll do that they're idiots uh but they'll do that i mean just for their team it's like that's crazy uh i'm not i don't have a i don't have a wildcat tattoo as far as you know uh i don't have that but there are fans some fans that do you know uh, I, I've I've not named any of my children after anything Kentucky you know I've not done that but that people do. I lived in Artesia, New Mexico for a while, and they had a football player there who went to the pros. His name was Landry Jones. Well, he was named after Tom Landry. They were Cowboys fans, so people do that sort of thing. And so Paul was this. He wasn't just Jewish; he was super Jewish. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. He studied under that rabbi Gamaliel. He was he was brilliant. Gamaliel was just this, he was the best, and to study under Gamaliel was was unheard of. Jesus was a rabbi, he had 12 disciples. So Gamaliel likely had about 12 disciples. So out of all of Israel, 12 guys were picked to be a follower of Gamaliel, really a, 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 an exclusive club. And he was well-known, Gamaliel. Now, my daughter, Elise, she's a senior in high school. We're looking at scholarships and all that stuff. And if you, um, if you look at websites and if you do a little research on this, there are different levels of scholarships wherever you want to go. And so there's the, um, if you're breathing, we'll give you a $500 scholarship. Lots of people can get that one. Pretty much, you got to be breathing. And then on the other end of the scale, there's the presidential scholarship. And that's the one that maybe they give one away or two. And that's the person who receives the presidential scholarship, gets tuition and room and board and books, and they get everything. Well, Paul was this side. He was presidential scholarship material. He was really, really brilliant. So religiously... He's a Hebrew, and he is a good one. So it's likely that he had most of the Old Testament memorized. I want you to think about that just for a second. The other day, I couldn't remember my zip code. And yet this guy memorized all of the Old Testament. I mean, it's just phenomenal, frankly. He likely knew several languages. He would have known Hebrew, Greek, probably Latin, Aramaic, and maybe others. You know, my father-in-law was absolutely brilliant. He grew up in Switzerland. Uh, he spoke four, five, six languages. When my father-in-law, he was a seminary student. He was the grader. You know what that means? So there's a, uh, there's a German professor, and then you're the grader, you grade the exams. It's just what, that's just what it is. And my father-in-law was so good at German that the teacher said, you should be teaching, and let him teach as the grader. As a student, he let him teach. So Paul was that level smart, just super smart. Now, culturally, he was a Greek. Um, he was from a town called Tarsus. It had a, one of the great libraries of the ancient world. So he was exposed. You know, I'm from Danville, Kentucky. You know, our, our history sets who we are, right? And those of us from the South, we, we learn to appreciate the finer things. Pinto beans. Cornbread, you know, uh, sweet tea, pickup trucks floating on the river, you know, um, sitting on a front porch saying, bless your heart instead of something mean. You know, uh, we, we learn the way of life by our culture. So Paul culturally was a Greek and politically he was a Roman citizen. And this was really important because it's like a passport, I thought everybody in Rome was a Roman citizen. Everybody in the Roman world was a Roman citizen. No. One in five people who lived under the Roman occupation were actually citizens. That's why you'll read stories about Paul and he'll, they'll persecute him and then, then they'll find out he's a Roman citizen. And they are really scared because being a Roman citizen had certain perks, certain privileges. It's like a passport. He got out of uh, bad situations sometimes. And I think it's really important that we understand how really, really smart he was. So sometimes Christians are portrayed as hayseed ignoramuses. But there are some brilliant people who have followed and followed Christ. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. J.R.R. R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings. Dr. Francis Collins, he's still living, he was the leader in the Human Genome Project. He basically did research on uh, how the DNA works. Neurosurgeon uh, ben, ben Carson, brilliant. He's the first to separate uh, conjoined twins. Uh, their, their, their heads were joined together, and he was the first one to ever do a successful surgery separating conjoined twer- twins Johannes Kepler was this great astronomer. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton was the one who started to develop the understanding of the law of gravitation. He also invented calculus. I, don't, I can't even spell calculus. Uh, Gutenberg was the one who invented movable type. All of these people were Christians, were believers. They're brilliant, yet they're Christians. That's just a, a short list. You don't have to be brilliant, however. I mean, I like that. This verse is for me, this next one. God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world to despise and despise things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. I appreciate that anyone can follow Christ. And Paul says... I've been selected as an ambassador to preach the good news. I've written our president, President Biden, and I've asked him if I could become the U.S. ambassador to Switzerland. I think I'm eminently qualified. My wife and three of my daughters are dual citizenship. Um, I have a daughter and son-in-law living in Switzerland, and my favorite cocoa is Swiss Miss. I think (laughs) this should be enough. I've yet to hear from President Biden, and until I do, I can't be the ambassador. But if I ever became the ambassador, I'd get those really cool license plates and flags to put on my car, and I would have, uh, you know, privilege of doing things. And Paul was called by King Jesus to be the ambassador of good news. And what God calls us to do, He equips us to do. What God calls us to do... He equips us to do. My father was a truck driver by trade. He was a mechanic. He could mechanic. You know, he worked on old cars and that kind of thing. He was the one who always volunteered when I was a youth. and my, do- my sisters were youth uh, to drive this, the, the church bus to Florida to, on mission trips. Daddy was the one who drove the bus. Because his skills were driving and mechanicking. And inevitably, nearly every trip we ever took, our bus broke down. My memory of my dad, and one of my fondest memories of my dad, is him underneath the bus, tinkering with something, fixing it so we can get to where we were supposed to go. My daddy never taught a Sunday school class. My daddy never prayed in public. He didn't feel worthy. But he could drive a a van, or he could drive a bus, And He could fix a bus. And He was eminently qualified for that. His calling and my calling aren't the same. My calling and your calling aren't the same. And God equips us to do what He calls us to do. Let me end with one other story about someone whose life was changed. A guy named John Wesley. You may have heard of him. He uh, was the founder of the Wesleyan movement also the Methodist Church. John Wesley, in the mid-1700s, was part of the Anglican Church, but really not even saved. And he came to the United States, so this was a wilderness at the time. He came to Georgia, and he was going to uh, evangelize uh, the Native Americans there. And he was a complete failure. He, he, he just he burned out. He, he was horrible at it. He gets on a ship and heads back to England... And as he goes back to England, they uh, experiences a storm, and he feels as if the boat is about to be swamped, and he is about to die. And it just so happened that on the boat were some Christians. So they're in this severe storm. He, he is fearful of his life, and he said, "If I die, I don't think I go to heaven. I, I just don't know what my state is with God." And yet he saw these Christians who had peace in the midst of a storm. And so they land in England. He goes to a a worship service. (laughs) They're reading, not Romans, they're reading the book that Martin Luther, we talked about him earlier, wrote about Romans. They're reading the preface to Romans. Not even Romans. Just words about Romans. And (laughs) John Wesley is saved. And he says... I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and as an assurance was given me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. This book is remarkable. So we've tackled one verse. At this rate, we have 432 to go. Uh, So we should get finished, I don't know, 2031, which is job security for me. We'll, We'll pick up the pace next week. But let me end with this. A life Jesus changes will change lives. And so your life, when it's changed by Christ, it you can't help but change other lives. You might not see it. I, I have the good fortune, the blessing of being a pastor. And I can see sometimes effect. So Somebody will call me. I, I had the sweetest email from a guy the other day. I literally haven't spoken to in 20 years, 20 years, and he wrote me, and he, he, he just, it was just super kind. Thank you for, you know, for, for being a part of my life. And, and so when Jesus changes our lives, as a dad, it's going to change the life of our kids and then their friends. And as a, a worker, it's going to change our coworkers' lives whether we see it or not our influence is far reaching and we have a guy named Paul who was changed by Jesus and his, the effect was to us there are some 2 billion christians on the planet today and some of that at least is due in part to to the things Paul did to the writings he wrote to the churches he established so next week, we're going to see his purpose a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit more, more about Romans. But I hope I've, I've piqued your interest so you'll be back next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for equipping us to do what you call us to do. Help us to never forget, to, to really appreciate the fact that our life, when changed, will change other lives. Help us to live with that truth today. In Jesus' name, amen.